everybody. Welcome to the New Market Alliance Church Podcast. For more information on the vision, programs, and news of our church, be sure to check us out at www.newmarketalliance.ca. We'd like to encourage you as well that no podcast, no matter how good, can substitute for the experience of joining together in person at a worship celebration. That's where God really meets people, often through the love and ministry of others. At NAC, we meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. Now let's join this week's teaching. Good to see y'all. So this is just a list off the top of my head. Didn't Google much. This is just what I remember. Okay. SNC Lavalin, Stormy Daniels, Harvey Weinstein, Lance Armstrong, Rob Ford, James McDonald, Mark Driscoll, Ashley Madison, Hillary's deleted emails, A-Rod, oh, A-Rod, Russian doping, Lehman Brothers, Goldman Sachs, the Catholic abuse cover-up, Elizabeth Holmes, Fire Festival, Facebook harvesting your personal data, Logan Paul, Larry Nasser, Vladimir Putin, Gian Gomeshi, Brett Kavanaugh, Lori Lachlan and Felicity Huffman in the college admissions thing, Bill Cosby, Elon Musk, Big Pharmacy, uh, Conrad Black, Enron, Perry Noble, Bill Hybels, Uber. Did I mention SNC Lavalin? Okay. That's just off the top of my head. And notice it's not limited to a political ideology. It's not limited to age or gender, though there was a lot of dudes. Apologies if your favorite um, scandal or cheater or ethical breach wasn't mentioned. What do they all have in common? Well, uh, for one, it gets my blood boiling. I'd say it's one of my holy discontents. That's a series that we're in. And Call it what you want. Call it walk in the walk, uh, practicing what you preach, being above board, being on the level, fair and square. It, it comes down to one poignant, underappreciated word, of a scriptural word, integrity. Integrity. Oh, how we need it in the world today. How we need it in the church today. It is a huge, huge area of vulnerability in the life of Christians and non-Christians alike. In fact, it's when you hear stories of blatant integrity, it's almost shocking uh, when compared to what we've come to expect of people in this culture. You may have heard this same true story that I did of a police officer a few years ago who wrote himself a $235 ticket, docked himself four points because he accidentally but illegally passed a school bus. And he said, uh, I didn't want to take the easy way out because of my position and authority. How many of us would be honest enough to admit that we spend more creativity and energy trying to get out of tickets that we know we're guilty of? Uh, Scripture has something to say about integrity, actually lots to say. One of my favorites, Psalm 25, 21. May integrity and uprightness protect me because my hope is in you. 
And this is a concept that's, that's repeated throughout Scripture. First Chronicles 29, 17. I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. All these things have I given willingly and with honest intent. Psalm 7, verse 8. Let the Lord judge the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness, according to my integrity, almost high. Proverbs 10, verse 9. The man of integrity walks securely, but he who takes crooked paths will be found out. On and on throughout Scripture. And I wonder how many times we have been embarrassed, even in the last couple of years, by public evangelists, CEOs, um, celebrities, sports celebrities, those who are in positions of authority, who seem not to have a moral center. And maybe this is a holy discontent for me because I actually recognize um, how every bit as capable and culpable I am as those who just happen to have been caught. You could say I have a holy discontent about myself. Now, we believe that King David wrote uh, Psalm 25. And here's how the Living Bible translates his word. I love this. Assign me godliness and integrity as my bodyguards. Assign me godliness and integrity as my bodyguards. Isn't that great? I just love this image of two burly bodyguards. And either, hey, this dude is godliness, and this dude is integrity. And, and you know what they're protecting me from? Myself. Me. It's not the outside forces trying to harm me. It's my own bad decisions, my own moral lapses and, and temptations. We need integrity. David needed it. Good king that he was. We also know some of his backstory, that he was an adulterer and a murderer. If you're kind of newish to church, you may not know the story, but one of the heroes of the Bible, that kid who killed the giant Goliath, he ends up as king of Israel. He's God's chosen, God's appointed king. And would you agree there's something about absolute power that's probably not good for the human soul. What's the, what's the old saying? Absolute power corrupts absolutely. I think it's one of the reasons megachurch pastors and CEOs and celebrities might be more prone to this type of failing because they start getting surrounded by entourages and yes men and uh, no one who challenges them or questions their decisions. And you know, to do so could mean your job. To do so in this case with a king could mean your life. So David sees a woman bathing from his balcony view over the city of Jerusalem. He's overcome with his own lust. He takes her as a lover. I say, I say takes her because he's king. I'm not sure you even can say in this case that it takes two to tango. You don't say no to the king. She becomes pregnant. Most of you know the story. It's obviously not her husband's because he's been off fighting a war that David should have been at himself. So to cover his tracks, to cover his guilt, he sends her husband, his loyal soldier and friend, to the front lines of the battle and then has everybody else withdraw so that he's left alone and killed. I mean, David might as well have taken a knife and stabbed him in the back himself. 
It was murder, plain and simple. So David has this spiritual advisor, a prophet. His name's Nathan. And he comes to David to confront him. The Bible actually says that God sent him. Now, you can't just come to a king and say, bro, you screwed up, man. Uh, You're a murderer and a cheat. Um, He may have been able to do that before David was king, or maybe before David started to believe his own press. But now that kind of confrontation could literally cost him his head. So he has to approach this confrontation a little more subtly. I think it's pretty brilliant what he does. So, so let's read it. It's from 2 Samuel. It says, So the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to tell David this story. He uses a little parable. It says, um, There were two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. But the poor man owned nothing but one little lamb he had bought. He raised that little lamb, and it grew up with his children. It ate from the man's own plate and drank from his cup. I got, I got issues with hygiene, but let's just stick with it. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. And one day a guest arrived at the home of the rich man, but instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for his guest. David was furious. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole and for having no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are that man. Booyah, twist ending, Twilight Zone style. Didn't see that coming, David, did you? The Lord, the God of Israel, says, I anointed you king of Israel and saved you from the power of Saul. I gave you your master's house and his wives and the kingdom of Israel and Judah. And if that had not been enough, I would have given you so much, much more. Why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? For you have murdered Uriah the Hittite with the sword of the Ammonites and stolen his wife. There was a youth pastor friend of mine, and he preached a message one time And all I remember, honestly, is the title, but the title stuck with me. The title was, Everybody Needs a Nathan. Everybody Needs a Nathan. David had a Nathan. His name happened to be Nathan. And I just feel like all of us need someone who will call us on our stuff. And so David um, uh, had a guy who could have easily have just said, hypocrite phony, liar, murderer. But the good news is that this is not the the end of the story for David. Uh, It doesn't need to be the end of the story for you and me either. There's another kind of obscure story in Genesis that touches on this subject. The story of Abraham, his wife Sarah, and this king Abimelech uh, found in Genesis 20. So Abraham and his family are traveling nomads, essentially, Uh, This is after the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And they settle temporarily in a land called Gerar, which uh, is on the edge of Philistine territory. And so Abraham decides to lie to everyone, including the king, and say that his wife, Sarah, is actually his sister. 
In fact, he says to her, this is how you can show your love for me. Tell everyone I'm your brother. If they think I'm your husband, and if they think you're hot, I might mysteriously end up with concrete shoes on the bottom of the Mediterranean Sea, right? Integrity is easy when there's nothing required of you, right? When there's no sacrifice, when there's no risk to your finances or your reputation or, in this case, perhaps your life. The test of integrity is is when it costs you something. Um, You've heard that saying before, you know, um, something like, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. What doesn't kill you makes you strong. Okay. I'm, I was going to have Glenn sing that one. But <laughs> something like, crisis builds character. And that, that may be true, but you know what I've seen most? Is that crisis reveals character. And what it reveals is often not close to the character and image of Christ. So Abraham, he thinks he's going to be safer if people, people weren't out to scoop his wife. And it backfires. The king of Gerar, his name is Abimelech, says, oh, here's this nice single gal who's definitely not married to her brother. And so he sent for Sarah to be his wife. Let's read from Genesis 20. But God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, you are as good as dead because of the woman you have taken. She's a married woman. Now, Abimelech had not gone near her. So he said, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? Did he not say to me, she is my sister? And didn't she also say, he is my brother? I have done this with a clear conscience and clean hands. Then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know you've done this with a clear conscience. And so I have kept you from sinning against me. That is why I did not let you touch her. See, no one's crossed the line yet. Now return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you will live. But if you do not return her, you may be sure that you and all yours will die. God says to this man, Abimelech, you're a dead man. Now that'll get your attention, right? It it may be the first time that the issue of integrity is, is addressed directly in the Bible. And there are obvious... Um, sexual implications in this story. Um, because, you know, in terms of integrity, sexuality is so, is so foundational to, to our identity, to our lives. When there's a violation of sexual integrity, there's a violation of, of life force, of our, of our essence. Something in our soul is violated. Uh, what we've been given to steward. And so the Christian's most awesome responsibility is to nurture, to maintain a heart of integrity before God. You know, would everyone who looks at your life be able to say it is marked by good character? Would everyone be able to say, um, now listen, by the way, I'm not speaking about your reputation. Your reputation is what people think you are, okay? I'm speaking of your character, and your character is who you really are. Uh, integrity is earned. It's earned in the trenches of life, in the crucible of pressure. Remember, too, that integrity, character, these are things that, that are not taken from you. Integrity can only be given up. 
by you. The walk of integrity, it's a narrow path, but the footsteps have been laid out for us in Scripture. And and it it may be narrow, um, it may be hard, but the walk of integrity is, is gratifying. So God says to Abimelech, you're a dead man. And that's really always the price of violated integrity, isn't it? I'm, I'm not so sure that King Abimelech would have necessarily have dropped dead on that spot. It's not a physical death necessarily, but there is a death syndrome that takes over, a death of innocence, um, a death of conscience, of relationship. Sin always brings death, doesn't it? I think of Adam and Eve who who brought sin into the garden for the first time. And God says, you will surely die. Well, they didn't biologically die. In fact, they lived into their 900s. But clearly, there was a death syndrome that, that was set into motion. There was a loss of relationship with God that he originally intended. Something was transmitted to their children and to us, to me and to you. How many couples do you know? How many families, how many churches, how many individuals do you know that are sinking in the quagmire of compromise because a death syndrome was set into motion because of some violated integrity? Listen, a Christian can only conquer the spirit of the world, which is death, with the spirit of life, and you maintain that with a heart of integrity before God, literally being honest to God. Um, You see, in Genesis 20, Abraham was out to save his own neck. There was a violation of integrity that took place. But Abimelech can say with authenticity, God, in the innocence of my heart, with a clear conscience, I've done this. And God says, I know. That's why I'm here. I know your heart was not to sin. See, I believe God wants to protect you from what you don't know. God wants to cut you off at the pass um, by some word of correction, some scripture, some confrontation even, some check in your spirit. It was uh, dramatic for Abimelech. It was a a life-changing dream. But I believe in some way he wants to warn you of what you can't see. Um, Now, listen, on the flip side, once you know, once you've been warned, don't necessarily expect to be told again. You are accountable for what you know to be right. So let me ask you, when you get that uncomfortable nudge in your gut, when you feel the Holy Spirit say, this ain't right, are you going to rationalize or justify or ignore. Um, Jack Hayford. Now, there's a name many of you may not be familiar with. He's the founder of, of Church on the Way in California. He started with 18 members. Now there's over 10,000. Uh, he has his own radio show. He's an author, songwriter of over 400 hymns and courses. Majesty, worship his majesty. That's Jack Hayford. The dude is decidedly unhip. Okay, he's 84 years old. He's not trending on Twitter. Okay, I have so much respect for this guy because he's something better than hip. This is a man who has never been 
caught up in a scandal. In fact, he's become, I think, synonymous with integrity. And so I've been inspired by him. I want to refer to some of his thoughts on the subject this morning. But let me use just an illustration from him. Um, and some of you are going to think I'm nitpicking. But, but let me say, first of all, I'm so proud to be part of a church where we are truthful, I believe, in the little things and the big things. But somebody tell me, what is the deal with churches that have a problem with rounded up numbers, uh, padded numbers, Christmas and Easter numbers? See, like, I love when you ask Glenn, how many were at Rock the other night? He'll say 29, exactly. Now, I would have been tempted in his day to go a little under 40. Uh, Now, that's technically true. Because frankly, you know, when you get around, uh, well, especially other pastors, there's this unspoken um, impression that your attendance is sort of directly correlated to your success or failure as a minister of the gospel. So uh, years ago, Jack Hayford was part of a, of a church survey that was published in the LA Times about the the largest attended churches in California. And the numbers were something like this, you know, 15,000, 12,000, 10,000, you know, et cetera. Um, and then comes to Jack Hafer's church, and it was listed as something like 8,543, like their exact average attendance. It was one of only two real numbers in the whole bunch. It wasn't their Christmas and Easter number either. Now, what's the point? What's the point I'm making? I'm talking about a few numbers. I'm nitpicking, aren't I? Here's the thing. Sometimes we're not even accustomed to bothering having integrity with the little things. But make no mistake, they're going to determine how you react to the big things, right? Do you have deep convictions about the little things? There's an interesting illustration. This happened one spring evening at midnight in 1987. Seven million American children suddenly disappeared. You didn't hear about this? The worst kidnapping wave in all of history? Hardly. It was the night of April 15th, tax day in the U.S., and the IRS had just changed a rule. Instead of merely listing the name of each dependent child, uh, tax filers were now required to provide detailed information on their children. So suddenly, seven million children, children that had existed a year ago, just um, became phantoms in that year's form. They vanished, representing about one in ten children in the U.S., I'm so glad I have a wife who is deeply concerned about the little things. Annoyingly so. (laughs) Things like confidentiality and late fees and tipping and returning change if she was overpaid. But you can be sure that consistency applies to the big things, the big decisions. And I wonder if we can say, Um, I'm a man, I'm a woman after God's own heart, the way David could say that. When you cheat on the little things, you're going to be more susceptible to the larger things that you could compromise. And eventually, 
lead to a grand compromise, a life-changing compromise. I, uh, I watched this movie uh, many years ago. Um, it was when Ben Affleck was still uh, thin, less puffy, pre-Batman, more goodwill hunting, changing lanes. And I just want to show you a clip from it. This was a, a rich lawyer who got in a fender bender. He started making little compromises on that simple incident that started snowballing on itself. Can you live there? When to maintain your lifestyle or your fake reputation, you make compromises. Psalm 25 calls us to godliness in the little things, the unseen things, and the major things in life. And I would suggest that every day, our character is either growing in the image and likeness of Christ, plateauing or shrinking, and it's mostly in all these little reactions. To the person who cut in front of you in line, Sometimes you can tell a lot about somebody, how they treat the wait staff or the bellhop or the doorman. Every day, I think, is a new opportunity to either grow in integrity or be compromised in it. And look, um, there'll be an opportunity today. I guarantee it. An opportunity will present itself if it hasn't already. There was a survey among managers The number one element they sought for in employees was, say it with me, integrity. And I suspect if a survey was taken of spouses, I wonder if integrity would be the number one thing they're looking for. If a survey was taken of um, children, would integrity or a word like it be the number one thing they're looking for in parents? I feel like it's what We are all looking for. I feel like it's what God is looking for in us. In Psalm 78, verse 72, I love that Glenn quotes this often in regards to worship, in regards to David. It says, David shepherded them with integrity of heart, with skillful hands. He led them. There was a mix of excellence, but a a right heart, integrity. I'm, I'm so grateful for all the all the tradespeople, all the small business owners in this church who I can trust them because integrity is important to them. You know, um, Paul and Paul and um, Elizabeth and the Fast family and Glenn and David and Ed and Brita and Earl, um, Others who have a witness in the community as men and women of integrity. You know, the word integrity, it's interesting. In the Old Testament, it comes from the word tome, Hebrew word. You know what it means? Completeness. One piece. No fragmentation. No compromises. Some of you who didn't get 51% in grade 12 math like I did might remember what the word integer means. Remember what that is? Was it, Glenn? Yeah, so in other words, it's a whole number. It means whole. It's, it's integer, integrity, cognate words, whole things. Integrated, coming together. Disintegrated, coming apart. Integrity, whole, all there. Um, you know, when the things we say don't match our actions, when we make 
promises, covenants, marriage covenants, baptism covenants, child dedication promises, and we don't keep them. That is disintegration, right? Are you all there this morning? Has concession been made? Has compromise been made? And if it has, has correction and confession and forgiveness come? The Lord says to Abimelech, I I know you didn't mean to sin. That's why I showed up to tell you. Now listen, God may show up to tell you personally, but more likely he may use Jonathan Ganyu, or he may use Christina Bonham, or, or he may use Jennifer Gray, right? And, and will you have the ears to hear it at that time? The concept of integrity applied, it comes down to those little things, the things that we've talked about this morning. And you will gain victory over the spirit of the world when you have not made concessions to the spirit of the world. It's about the highest standard of all. It's about taking on the character of Christ, asking ourselves, and I know it sounds like a cliche, but asking ourselves with authenticity, what would Jesus do? Integrity isn't a possession that we have once and for all. Integrity is a calling. We are on a journey towards integrity. And so with Abimelech and Abraham, the Lord Praise God. He rectified the situation. Sarah's chastity was was spared. Abraham had to feel deeply embarrassed before God. And by the way, isn't it amazing how merciful God is to this man? Isn't it amazing how merciful he is to me and to you? There have been crossroads in my life, points of confusion. God has been merciful to me. May integrity in uprightness protect me. May integrity and uprightness protect you this morning because our hope is in you, Lord. And so if you're willing to let integrity rule, you know what? It's gonna happen in a moment. You're in the middle of a conversation. Perhaps you feel convicted. Perhaps something unworthy has come out of your mouth and you're gonna be able to say, you know what? Hold on, folks. Um, That joke I just told That wasn't of the caliber of the kind of man or woman that I I want to be. And so forgive me for polluting your ears with that. You may not have even recognized it, but I just want you to know I'm sorry. That is going to be a conversation killer. That's a big, wet, soggy blanket. But God will be honored in that moment. You know, there have been times in my attempt to be funny or relevant or fit in, I have said things in conversation Things from this stage, I'm sure, that have not been worthy of the kind of man that I'm trying to become. I want to be a man of integrity, and so I'm sorry for those times. Folks, this fall, we're going to be talking about what it means to be the church out there in the real world, what it means to be on mission for Jesus in our community. And I'm telling you, as sure as I'm standing here, that your neighbors, your friends, your coworkers, your unsaved family does not want anything to do with a church that says one thing but lives another way, that preaches one thing but that acts out differently, a church that isn't real with each other and with God. Um, Look at those pens in in your front uh, pocket there in the chair. They have this little tagline, real people, 
Real problems, real God. It's, it's a church synopsis or tagline that our young adult group sort of settled on. I'm not sure it'll even stick. I'm not, I'm not even sure it's always true, but I'll tell you, it's something we are aspiring to, um, to be real, real with each other, real with ourselves, real, real with God, real with people in the world, and, and let them know that we may be imperfect, but we have found our hope in God. So may integrity and uprightness protect and preserve you this morning because our hope is in you, Jesus. Do you desire that in your own life? Just nod if you're with me. Yeah, amen, amen. We need men of integrity. We need fathers of integrity. But this isn't just for fathers this morning. I wish that we could um, have all the fathers be prayed for by their kids. That would be so meaningful, and it would take us till Tuesday morning. So I've asked if, if uh, speaking of a family of integrity, I've asked if the Asbury family would participate in this, and I've asked if John would sort of be a proxy for all the dads, all the men here, and, and his adult children are going to pray for him I just think that's, well, everybody but Heather, who's on a honeymoon, and she didn't come back for this. I mean, it's very selfish, so I take <laughs> that. So, Asbury's, come on up, and, um, and I'm going to ask if all the men, father or not, would you stand right now and just receive this blessing, this prayer um, from the Asbury girls to all men? You stand? Go ahead, men. Men are always a little disobedient, and we're trying to work that out of y'all. Let's, let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you so much for my dad. He is a continued example of fatherly love, of your love, and I am so thankful for that. Continue to work in his heart to be more like you, to know the depths of your love for him. And as a result, may it strengthen and edify our entire family. May the faith and love of our Father equip us to be stronger children of God. Yes. And may our dad continue to know what a treasured child of God he is. I thank you for the blessing he has been in my life, and I pray that I may be a continued blessing in his. I love you, Dad. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you today and every day that you are our eternal Father. Yes. We thank you that you are a good and a loving Father. Lord, we pray for our earthly fathers today, and we, we just thank you for the gift that they are. Um, we pray for guidance and wisdom. I pray they would look to you as the ultimate example of a father. May they lead their families in a way that is pleasing to you, in a way that encourages each family member to pursue you further. May they be a rock for their families. Lord, I pray for strength and for endurance for our fathers. We thank you for their hard work and their provision. May they find their strength in you, and may they strengthen their families in return. Amen. Lord, I pray for those who may find today difficult, for those who have lost their father or who have never known their father. I pray they would be washed over with a supernatural peace, and that they would find ultimate comfort in knowing that they are your child, and you are their father, and you are a father who loves them unconditionally Amen. and won't ever abandon them. Lord, I pray for those who have a strained relationship with their father, and I thank you that there is no relationship too broken that you can't redeem. Mm -hmm. 
May you bring your healing hand upon those relationships and bring your love back into them. Father, thank you for loving us, forgiving us, and thank you for, per- for pouring out your grace for us. Yes. Thank you for blessing us with fathers and be with us today as we celebrate them. We bless you men to live a life of courage and integrity. I pray that you would live from the inside out, freely expressing the transformation that the Lord has done inside of you. I pray that you would live a life of intimacy with God, living with a continual awareness of his presence that is always all around you. May you walk in your God-given authority, being bold to embrace the call that the Lord has on your life. I pray that as you walk in righteousness and truth, you lead the way for those around you to do the same. I pray that you would continue to grow in your relationship with God all the days of your life, being fully convinced of the goodness of God and how unconditionally he loves you. May you always be a son in need of your father. I pray all these things to the honor of the name Jesus. Amen. 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 Father God, creator and redeemer, we thank you for the incredible and wonderful gift of children, and we thank you, Lord, that you have entrusted us with their care. We thank you that you are loving, you are patient, and you are kind and generous to us. And we pray that as fathers of our children, we may reflect your love, your patience, your kindness, and your generosity as we take care of, lead, and instruct our children. Help us, Lord, to be role models to our kids. And as you forgive us when we fall short, May we forgive our children likewise. Mm-hmm. For we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Asbury, thank you so much. That was beautiful.